Here's the point. New world order, fourth industrial revolution, uh, great reset. I thought that these were terms conspiracy theorists used. But now they are on the lips and mouths of the world's leaders. I was supposed to be embarrassed to mention these things. New World Order a year ago or Fourth Industrial Revolution. What are you talking about? And yet that's exactly what those in charge of the most powerful nations in the world are saying, which means I have to start a new investigation here and now. Now, the high wire is a little different. I don't pre, I've not pre interviewed this guest I'm about to have. What I know is that uh, researcher and thought leader James Corbett has spent years investigating and shouting from mountaintops. I've stood on stages with him. Honestly, I thought, well, I mean, that's a real, maybe he is a conspiracy theorist. I can't go there yet, but I've heard him. I've heard him talking about the New World Order, the Fourth Industrial Revolution, and now this languaging of the Great Reset. So I gave him a call and said, can I ask you some questions? Because I'm just beginning a journey now. I no longer think that maybe it's just pharma behind this. There may be something much bigger going on, and it troubles me. Uh, James Corbett was in Japan, and so I had to pre-tape this just a day ago. This is me honestly asking questions, trying to understand this. So you're, you're joining me for the first time. Maybe some of you are ahead of me on this, but I don't think it's a conspiracy theory anymore. I think this is a reality that we have got to start focusing on. Watch me start this journey of investigation with James Corbett. This was yesterday. Take a look. James, uh, thank you for joining me. I, I know it, I think it's early in the morning there in Japan, so I want to thank you for taking the time right up front to, to join us today. Well, thank you for having me here to talk about an extremely important subject. And let me just say welcome to the club, because I think we're all conspiracy theorists now. Now that the conspiracy theory that the uh, the media has been attempting to gaslight us about over the past few months, oh, there's no such thing as a great reset, is clearly being shoved in our face by the very same leaders that they're saying are totally not in involved in any sort of plot. So I think everyone is seeing that we are being gaslit about this subject and that there is something that we need to delve into here. Now, before we ever even start into this conversation, I feel like there was a, a concerted effort to make conversations about an idea where like there was a, a singular leading, leading body in the world that the, the borders of nations would come down and there would be some sort of, you know, new world order or any idea like that. You were, you know, just a year ago, it seems like we would be made fun of for bringing that up. And so when I start seeing guys like Trudeau saying, you know, great reset and, and, and talking about this sort of blending of economies around the world and a new way of doing things, just... Am I wrong? Wasn't this sort of um, a third rail topic publicly until recently? It absolutely was. And I can say that with some degree of experience because I've been talking about this in one form or another for 13 years now. And of course, have long been dismissed as a crazy conspiracy theorist. Um, now the crazy is being removed from that appellation because as I say, it is now coming out in the open. And if people examine my work on this subject specifically, a podcast that I did recently called Your Guide to the Great Reset that's at corporatereport.com slash great reset, uh, they will see that uh, is this 
out in the open and being acknowledged, but it corresponds in every key detail to the so-called New World Order conspiracy theory that's been floating around for decades about some sort of attempt to move us into a global governmental system. Well, now it's out in the open and they're referring to it as the Great Reset. And we don't have to take, we don't have to speculate on that in really any uh, sense because they are openly talking and writing about it, including Klaus Schwab, the executive director of the World Economic Forum, who has written an entire book on this subject that somehow he managed to slap together in the first few months of this pandemic crisis, so-called. Uh, he managed to come out with an entire book outlining all of this. And I think the key uh, to understanding this actually comes from that Trudeau clip that you played, because notice what he said. He said, the pandemic has provided an opportunity for a reset. This is our chance to accelerate our pre-pandemic efforts to reimagine economic systems that actually address global challenges like uh, equality, poverty, etc. Pre-pandemic plans, of course, this is not something that ha really has anything whatsoever to do with a virus. In whatever way you understand the, the narrative of COVID-19, this right. doesn't really have to do with that. This is a pre-pandemic uh, plan that was in place looking for a good excuse to launch it upon the world. Well, here is that excuse. And it is actually a particularly uh, important excuse. It, it works on a number of levels, one of which comes directly from Klaus Schwab's Great Reset book, where he says, the spread of infectious diseases has a unique ability to fuel fear anxiety and mass hysteria. In so doing, as we have seen, it also challenges our social cohesion and collective capacity to manage a crisis. Epidemics are by nature divisive and traumatizing. And if you go on in that passage, he talks about families, friends and neighbors being pitted against each other and looking for some sort of solution. Well, don't worry, the World Economic Forum and their cronies have the solution for you and they're calling it the Great Reset. I think that the World Economic Forum is, and Klaus Schwab in particular, are positioning themselves to be the, uh, the central uh, organizing body for this group of concepts that are being uh, sold to the public under this great uh, reset title. But that doesn't mean I think that they are pulling all the strings. This isn't the sort of conspiracy that people like to deride when they talk about conspiracy theories of uh, a bunch of men in a smoky, shadowy room making secretive plans. I think this is, again, this is out in the open, and it's because the convergence of a lot of different people who hold the same ideology essentially are agreeing on the, the main aspects of the way to better consolidate global control over the economy and thus the people of the world. And again, I think this COVID-19 crisis is just the perfect cover for that. There's a video that um, I've seen from the World Economic Forum of Klaus Schwab. Let's play that really quickly and take a look at this. It is obvious that we are in the midst of the most severe crisis the world has experienced since World War II. 75 years ago, countries and people came together to shape the post-war global order, which brought us decades of peace, increased global cooperation and prosperity to hundreds of millions of people around the world. The COVID-19 crisis has shown us that our old systems are not fit anymore for the 21st century. It has laid bare the fundamental lack of social cohesion, fairness, inclusion, and equality. Now is the historical moment, the time, not only to fight severe virus, but to shape the system 
for the need for the post-corona era. We have a choice to remain passive, which would lead to, an, to the amplification of many of the trends we see today. Polarization, nationalism, racism, and ultimately increased social unrest and conflicts. But we have another choice. We can build a new social contract, particularly integrating the next generation. We can change our behavior to be in harmony with nature again. And we can make sure that the technologies of the fourth industrial revolution are best utilized to provide us with better lives. In short, we need a great reset. I mean, that guy, when you see a video like that, it, it, it really is like a character out of James Bond, as, as I, I know you've referenced. I mean, you can't make this up. I, I think about, and let me tell you what I'm grappling with. I'm, I'm grappling with my own family members right now, right? I have family and friends. I grew up in Boulder, Colorado. I was an environmentalist. I believe in clean air and, and food and water. It's what puts me in this position right now. Yet I hear these buzzwords that are being used in this reset, right? You know, sort of you know, all working together, coming together for, you know, equality and balance in ecosystems and in business, a new way forward. Yet now the tone of that, I don't think could be better, you know, um, exemplified by Klaus Schwab. When I listen to him, I'm like, those sound like really pretty words, but there's something terrifying about hearing it from this guy. But what is the disconnect? Why is it I have no longer feel safe with the concept of being an environmentalist when I'm looking at the world agenda around this? How are they manipulating? Are they manipulating it? Or am I just, have I just lost my way? I, I think they are manipulating this and we can see this from a number of different vectors and you are not alone in that. I think there are a great many number of people out there who are similarly interested in saving and preserving the environment and, and, and uh, all of these things. We know that we are part of an ecosystem and we have to be responsible for protecting it, etc. And I think that impulse is what is played on when they start launching this type of spiel about equality, sustainability, inclusiveness. These are the buzzwords that they are using to sell an agenda to us. And one way to grap grapple with that idea of how these words can be used to sell uh, ideas that are in fact harmful to us is to look at a word like equality. Again, I think most people uh, feel uncomfortable with the idea of some people having uh, billions and billions of dollars in their bank account and other people literally starving in the gutter. Uh, it would be better if if we could have a more uh, e uh, equal society in, in terms of the distribution of wealth so, so people aren't literally starving to death while others have more money than they could possibly use in their lifetime. But there are many different ways to achieve that sort of equality and one of which would be simply to make all of the peasants, essentially neo-peasants on the neo-feudal plantation, you're all equally poor uh, under the eyes of the system. That would be one way to achieve uh, equality. So just the word equality itself does not necessarily mean this is going to be some sort of utopia or nirvana. We have to understand what it is they are actually proposing. And when you start to pick that apart and you start to get at the underlying message of what they're pushing here, you start to get at concepts like the fourth industrial revolution and how technology is going to be used to get us to uh, a new economic system. And 
once you start to understand the implications of that, for example, the implication that everyone will be closely surveilled at all times uh, electronically and at a distance, and all of their transactions will be monitored and run through a central bank digital currency, which will be monitoring everything that you are doing at all times. Of course, all of this data is necessary for Oh, keeping us safe from disease, say, which is, of course, the way it will be sold to us. And one example of that is a particularly interesting and telling article that was published in the Financial Times this past March that I thought uh, encapsulated this idea quite well. It's by Yuval Noah Harari, and it's called The World After Coronavirus. And he lays it out on the table there, what this type of fourth industrial uh, revolution technology means and what it entails, including under the skin surveillance. So he writes that one of the problems we face in working out where we stand on surveillance is that none of us know exactly how we are being surveilled and what the coming years might bring. Sur surveillance technology is developing at breakneck speed and what seemed science fiction 10 years ago is today old news. Uh, uh, as a thought experiment, consider a hypothetical government that demands that every citizen wears a biometric bracelet that monitors body temperature and heart rate 24 hours a day. The resulting data is hoarded and analyzed by government algorithm. The but algorithms like will know that you are sick even before you know it, and they will also know where you've been and who you have met. The chains of infection could be drastically shortened and even cut altogether. Such a system could arguably stop the epidemic in its tracks within days. Sounds wonderful, right? Biometric monitoring would make Cambridge Analytica's data hacking tactics look like something from the Stone Age. Imagine North Korea in 2030, when every citizen has to wear a biometric bracelet 24 hours a day. If you listen to a speech by the great leader and the bracelet picks up the telltale signs of anger, you are done for. This yeah. article just starts to broach some of the issues of what we're dealing with here, a complete Orwellian system of total monitoring of not just your speech, not just things that you are saying, but ultimately things that you are literally feeling, your blood pressure, your, your heart rate, your all these telltale signs of, of emotion or, or what you're thinking. And of course, a lot of this will be quackery, but that doesn't matter. They will say, oh, there is a science behind this and we can tell that you were thinking about doing something naughty. So we are going to come on with the pre-crime police and make right, sure like that you don't do report, that. Right, minority report, right? I mean, I think about that. Exactly just imagine right. everyone wearing a Fitbit if your Fitbit was suddenly connected to the, the government uh, and the police department, how much they know about you, where you're at, what you're emotionally going through, you know, I mean, it's really, that article is really terrifying. Um, and it would seem crazy, except let me bring up, and, and, and we, you know, my producers went through, you know, the incredible piece. We're not going to take a whole hour to, to get on it. So everyone should definitely go to the Corbett Report and check it out. But let me bring up from COVID-19, The Great Reset by Klaus Schwab. If no one power can enforce order, our world will suffer from a global order deficit. Unless individual nations and international organizations succeed in finding solutions to better collaborate at the global level, we risk entering an age of entropy in which retrenchment, fragmentation, anger, and parochialism will increasingly define our global landscape, making it less intelligible and more disorderly. It goes on to say, 
When confronted with it, some industry leaders and senior executives may be tempted to equate and, and reset with restart, hoping to go back to the old normal and restore what worked in the past, traditions, tested procedures, and familiar ways of doing things. In short, a return to business as usual. This won't happen because it can't happen. For the most part, business as usual died from, or at the very least, was infected by COVID-19. I mean, the guy is basically saying, I know you think you have a president of the United States of America, but that's of no interest to us. We want a larger centralized power over the world. That is how we get to the place of order. And of course, as you well know, order is in that idea of, you know, a stabilized planet and and, and humanity is exactly what we read about in Brave New World by Daldos Huxley or 1984. These were what they were predicting. Our desire to control and create a perfect utopian world would mean we would all have to turn into some sort of automatron. Is that where we're heading? Is, it, is, is there any stopping this? Uh, there, there has to be, there has to be a way to derail it. And in fact, that passage that you read uh, there belies some of the, the fear and anxiety on the parts of these would-be controllers of the world over the public response to globalization that has developed in the past couple of decades. Uh, as I think everyone understands by now, globalization is no longer seen as an unadorned good if it ever was. Uh, people understand that this means wide-scale uh, uh, poverty or disenfranchisement of various peoples. It means a, a small group of uh, would-be elites who claim to have the authority to rule over vast swaths of the globe, or at least the economy of vast swaths of the globe, which amounts to the same thing. And uh, and people are reacting against that uh, on on mass, and we see things like. Brexit and Trump and other things, no matter what you think of those politically, I think we understand that as a sort of reaction against the, the globalization, the ideas of the neoliberal global world order that's been uh, foisted on the public for the past few decades. This is in response to that reaction from the public. They are saying, oh, there's a lot of fragmentation and parochialism and we have to get past these, this, these nationalist ideas in order to achieve a greater global order. And uh, they're coming out and saying it in black and white. And I think this actually reflects back on what we were talking about earlier, the way that, of course, buzzwords about equality and sustainability that we've been trained are unadorned goods can be used to sneak in ideas that are not good. Uh, in the same way, I think that we've seen the, the previous governing paradigm of the past couple of decades, that everything was oriented towards terrorism. We all dislike terrorism, right? Therefore, we must be on board with this anti-terrorism agenda. But then you have people like Henry Kissinger coming out and saying, well, anyone who opposes globalization is a terrorist. And so then suddenly the entire apparatus of this anti-terror uh, idea is to wield against people who are against globalization. Well, I, see, I think we're seeing the update for that for this new uh, paradigm that we're entering of biosecurity, where anyone is potentially an asymptomatic carrier of this deadly disease and thus must be monitored and controlled at all times. And if you are against that, then you are a, you are a, a potentially deadly vector for this pandemic and you must be controlled. So I think this is just an update to old um, uh, strategies for essentially attempting to control public opinion and public thought on matters of economic and global political order. Uh, you're right again to to say that ultimately, yes, there are there obviously are um, pharmaceutical interests, economic interests behind what is happening now, but it does go deeper than that, and they keep bringing it back to this idea of global economic restructuring 
based on this pandemic? Well, no, they come out and admit, no, this was a pre-pandemic plan. So what we are seeing essentially is the fruition, the, the coming to fruition of decades of planning. And here is the perfect package in which they can put it so that any opposition to this can be seen as a public health threat that needs to be taken care of. I mean, there's obviously, you know, uh, in, in this COVID-19, the Great Reset book, um, you know, there's like a map, there's literally a map the, the, of the agenda, the agenda of the Great Reset. I think it's really the fourth industrial revolution. And what you see is that vaccines and, and health is really just one little line uh, in here uh, of all the things that are part of this agenda. And, you know, just to make sure that everyone in my audience knows, I'm not leaving the vaccine discussion, and I'm about to actually tell you why. Though, in my world, this has been, you know, we are getting to the point of really getting the world to understand this. I think we've been shifting the thinking around vaccination and the idea that they actually could be dangerous. But when I look at all of the other tools or all the other lines on this agenda map, it still comes down to health seems to me to be the most effective tool for them to incite people into conflict and to make us choose sides against each other. You know, we can't, whether or not there's Federal Reserve banking as a part of this or how we're going to use banking institutions or dropping borders or open borders, none of that really gets us to the frenzy the way saying your neighbor is going to get you killed. Your children will die if your neighbor doesn't wear a mask. And I think that, or your neighbor didn't get the vaccine. It's now available to all of us. And it's because of you. I'm, I'm waiting for this. It's because of you that won't vaccinate that we can't open up our country and get our economy rolling. You've got to call out your neighbor that hasn't gotten their vaccine because they're keeping our progress and the ability for us to open up and catch up with China. You know, they're, they're now putting us at risk. And so, you know, when I think about that, I know that it, it appears to me that this is their weapon. This is the biggest, one of the biggest tools they have. Do you see that uh, similarly? Uh, yes, absolutely. You're exceptionally right to point that out. And we see that taking place right in front of our eyes in places like in Victoria, in Australia, where they have, of course, the incredible crackdown and lockdown mandates that uh, is not only supported, but cheered on by a certain section of the public because it is those those anti-maskers or those people who aren't going to go get on board with the vaccine or those other people who are putting us in danger, we have to do something about them. And we see that bifurcation, the pitting of neighbor against neighbor essentially taking place. And I think the other way in which this is, although, as I say, this, this entire plan is not predicated on a pandemic. It was a pre-pandemic plan, but right. the pandemic is a particularly convenient excuse uh, because it invites the, uh, the, the abrogation of bodily autonomy. Of course, this is one of the dividing lines in the sand, the psychological line that cannot be crossed for a lot of people. The state can tell me to do this or do that, but it cannot physically stick something in my arm or, or uh, mandate what will or will not go into my body. That's where I draw the line for a lot of people. Well, a lot of people are having that perception shifted as a result of this crisis that they are being told is an existential threat to humanity and won't stop until we all get vaccinated, which is allowing state after state and around the world at this point to start at least contemplating mandatory vaccinations for this pandemic. And that is a particular line that they, I think the people in charge of this agenda definitely do want to cross. Not necessarily. I mean, 
even if we take at face value these uh, uh, um, these messenger RNA vaccines, the completely experimental, never before approved for human use, that they are rushing, warp speeding into people's arms uh, in the course of one year, uh, absolutely unprecedented, absolutely crazy that anyone would just unquestioningly roll up their sleeve and take that sort of vaccine. But even if we took it at face value that this is a wonderful new technology that's all for our good, the mandates themselves that are coming into place uh, to make sure that people cannot legally resist these types of vaccinations is itself the threat. Because even if this vaccine is perfectly fine and perfectly safe, can we guarantee that for the next one or the right. next next one? Or when they start talking about biometric measurements or, well, we'll just have to have some sort of quantum dot tattoo. We'll have to start injecting nanoparticles in order to have vaccine updates in the future. Uh, people really don't understand the type of research that is going on right now into injectables and bioelectronics of various sorts that in the future will not be vaccines as we have known them. Whatever you think vaccines are, they will not be uh, what, what is coming uh, a decade or two down the line, but those mandates will already be in place. Well, you gave up your bodily autonomy during COVID-19, so now we've established that precedent. And I think that's an important precedent for these people to establish right now. Now, you you know, I know in your speaking, and when we talked about doing this, there's several categories that are probably of equal weight, even though we see this huge circle one of them's education, and this is something that was in your podcast. I just want to play uh, this this podcast um, using a Sesame Street character to get an idea across. Take a look at this. Hello, everybody. It is I, your cute and adorable pal Grover, with a message for listeners of the Great Reset. Well, you are in luck because I know a thing or two about resetting. Mm-hmm. I reset my alarm clock every morning. <laughs> but you are talking about resetting the entire world. Now that is a very big job. Well, my friend Ms. Sherry Weston and I are here to help. On Sesame Street, we know that it is very important for children to learn and play every day. And because playtime is so important, we have been thinking of ways to help children all over the world learn and play at home. At first, it was hard when nobody could go to school, and I could not visit my friends like Elmo or, well, even Oscar the Grouch. Then we learned to have video playtime, which was a lot of fun and made us feel better. I can't, I mean, that video is so terrifying to me, uh, especially in light of multiple things we're seeing in the news right now. We're seeing a bill in Washington, D.C. that's going to allow 11-year-olds to be vaccinated without their parents' consent and allows the doctor and the insurance company to doctor the records so the parents never know that that took place. I also these stories about in the online learning, parents signing that they will not eavesdrop on what their kids are being taught on video. Um, you can't make this stuff up. I mean, this is where I'm at. There is something much more, you know, much bigger and potentially sinister. I mean, I, I imagine the people involved in this must think they've got it right and they're going to save the world. But it is incredibly terrifying to know that our children, they see the power of our children. If we can shift the mindset of the children, like we're seeing it with college students, right? These ideas that, you know, free speech is just speech that doesn't offend anybody. If you offend me, then your speech can't be free. 
Um, the education system is clearly lining us up and setting us up for this future. Um, uh, you know, there it is. There's a headline, Resetting Education Lessons from Sesame Street on Helping a Generation at Risk, this week's Great Reset podcast. Why would they go to those lengths? And what does that say about what uh, these people in government and, of course, the uh, connected political and pharmaceutical interests that are supporting them, what does that say about their presumed ownership of your children's bodies? Right. Because that's ultimately what this comes down to. And uh, as you say, that's reflected in education, the on increasingly online education that's taking place right now. But don't look at what your kids are learning Parents, you must you must agree to not allow uh, yourself to to even look over the shoulder and see what your children are actually being subjected to. Again, what what right thinking person would think that that is a normal or healthy way of approaching your child's education right. to not even be allowed to see what they are learning? That is insanity. I do not understand the mindset of any parent who could think that that is a good thing. So. I think once you start to realize there clearly is an agenda here, you have to start looking at where this agenda is coming from and who it's being funded by. And you will find for the exact same players that you find in the global health space, like the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, which of course, as we know, has pretty much monopolized uh, global public health over the course of the past two decades. But you may not know that the uh, Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation's uh, primary uh, domestic uh, operation in the United States is geared towards education. They have been deeply funding education, including the development of Common Core uh, curricula and other such steps to transform the education. I thought we all agreed it was a total disaster, right? I mean, Common Core was a known disaster. I believe Bill Gates even apologized, right? But hey, let's let's let him keep at it, and you know, maybe he'll eventually get it right. You know what? I have a question I do want to ask you because it happened today. I had a friend call me and say, you know, Dell, what do you know about uh, the lockdowns that are coming and, and what's happening? Um, uh, you know, he was talking about trying to insure his company, get insurance. And the insurance companies are now saying, you know what, we're not interested really in renewing any policies right now or anything until we see what happens. We're afraid there's going to be lockdowns and that that could destroy businesses and we don't want to be uh, holding the bag on that. What you know, is destroying our economy and those, you know, as you've talked about, those sort of mom and pop businesses, is how does that fit into the Great Reset? I mean, it seems to me they're destroying the very people that they're speaking to saying we're going to make an even playing ground. Well, the even playing ground, none of us is going to be a Walmart. None of us is going to be, a, you know, a Costco or an Amazon. Shouldn't we all be more like the little butcher shop that just focuses on, you know, organic meats or a cheese store or, you know, someone that just has their own wine uh, business and, and they grow their grapes. And yet that's exactly what it appears to be being destroyed by our approach to this pandemic. How does that play into the, the larger picture um, of the Great Reset or the Fourth Industrial Revolution? Well, actually, this is an exceptionally important point that goes to the heart of the ideology behind this Great Reset idea, which is one of centralization of control. What we need is a centralized system that's coordinated by a few technical elites who will essentially rule over the system for everyone's good, for equality and inclusiveness and all the other warm, fuzzy buzzwords that they say. Uh, but ultimately, that is not what this is about. It is about centralization of control, and that cannot really fully be consolidated as long as everyone is running their 
their own independent business and is essentially able to provide for themselves. No, we have to be beholden essentially to a centralized system. And one way to do that is essentially to collapse the independent economy to make sure that the big multi, uh, multi-country, multinational, global corporate corporations like Amazon and Walmart and what have you are, are fine and protected. They're essential services, but the grocer on the corner running his own independent business, now that's non-essential, so we'll have to close it down, which again may seem counterintuitive to people. Well, why would the people in charge of the country want to crash the economy? But it's because that crisis of that economic crisis opens uh, up the doors to all sorts of other controls that can come in. And something that has been flouted, uh, flaunted and, and, and touted for years now, including by Klaus Schwab in his fourth industrial revolution book and uh, subsequent speeches is the idea of universal basic income, which is now gaining this idea, uh, a lot of momentum now. Well, if we can't, if we can't provide for ourselves because we can't even open our own business, well, the government will have to do it. They'll have to provide a universal basic income, which sounds great until you start hearing the idea, well, this will this is a social responsibility that we'll have to make sure that we're contributing to society. So it will come with the sort of, well, have you gotten your vaccine? Have, have you complied with all of the health regulations? If not, maybe you won't get your UBI stipend. So this is actually the, the, the culmination of that centralization that is at the root of uh, the Great Reset. And we're going to start seeing that reflected in all sorts of different ways, including the monetary paradigm itself as they're starting to talk about central bank digital currencies, right. which will be able to drop that U- UBI directly into your wallet every month, There's as long no as you change, comply with the right? authority. Suddenly, somehow, a virus has eliminated people's access to quarters, dimes, nickels, and pennies, and even dollars. Clearly, we're all moving over to digital currencies. I'm, I'm sure swiping my phone uh, is the future. And by the way, people keep asking me, Dell, do you believe in, that they're going to be injecting microchips with vaccines? Look, I don't know why they need to. Your phone is tracking every damn thing they need to know about you, and you can't separate yourself from it because your life depends on it. But going back to, you know, just a, a thought, and honestly, it just occurred to me when you said it, um, that if all, you know, all grocery stores in America, as we know it, because this is where we live, is Walmart. And, you know, all banking is chased. So we all become employees of this sort of monolithic system that then can be trolled. Is it, am I understanding you right that the idea of centralized control would be to have these giant overseeing corporations in different countries where we don't have any individualism, that it's all handled? I mean, that makes perfect sense, right? Just umbrellas that sit over whatever sector we work in. Uh, and by the way, who gets to, how do you rise to be a leader in that corporation? Uh, it seems like it takes away a lot of your ability to use your own um, instincts and intuition and, and ideas to move yourself forward. We're just, you know, we're like cattle on some sort of conveyor belt at that point. Exactly right. Unfortunately so. And as an American, you'll know that, of course, Thomas Jefferson, this is the reason that he held up the yeoman farmer as the ideal for building a free society, that everyone is able to contribute and provide for themselves, including providing essentials for themselves. Well, we have been further and further disconnected from that by the the sort of supermarket system of I go to the grocery store and I buy all of these manufactured products rather than uh, directly interacting and transacting with farmers and local growers, etc. The more 
more that we get dis, uh, disconnected from the actual roots of the, the production of our, our basic necessities, the more easily controlled the human population becomes because suddenly no one can provide for themselves. We're all hemmed in these little boxes in, in these giant urban uh, megacities. And we, we really do rely on a chain of production that goes back to these gigantic mega corporations that are allowed to exist during times of declared public health emergencies. And we're going to start seeing that that flexing of that muscle that essentially has been growing for, for decades, if not centuries now, but we're really going to see what that means in, in light of this crisis. We're also, you know, Silicon Valley's involved here when we look at big tech, uh, the monitoring that was so uh, brilliantly described in the Financial Times article, uh, it can seem so overwhelming. So to wrap this up, and I'm sure we will get deeper into the future as I start looking into this more and more, but to not, you know, for, for audiences out there, this can all just seem like, how do we win? How is there any way we're going to stop this? What would your advice be? Well, I, again, I think this goes to that ideology that we are facing here, because that is essentially what is at the root of this and what connects all these disparate players who are all mouthing this great reset uh, verbiage right now is this ideology of centralization, uh, monopolization, cartelization of the economy, of the world itself. The only possible solution to that is decentralization, which is increasingly possible using the very same types of technologies that they are trying to introduce to us as these surveillance tracking and control technologies could be the technologies that we could use to independently peer-to-peer uh, uh, -peer network with others and form connections on a human individual basis that will allow us to survive any sort of crisis that uh, the world economic system is put through. And that, in, that can take all sorts of different forms, but it involves stepping outside of the, the currently uh, safe swaddling arms of the uh, the government-approved uh, corporate-controlled system where everything's going to be provided for you as long as you play by the rules. Well, it's going to involve doing even little things like participating in your local farmer's market and getting to know some of the local producers in your area. And then you can start looking at ways to uh, purchase and interact with them that don't involve the, the sort of controlled fiat monetary uh, currency that uh, essentially is going to be more and more controlled in the future and eventually turned into digital. It's going to involve even just paying in cash is becoming, as you say, more and more of a yeah. verboten thing in the land of the free, home of the brave. So uh, even little steps like that, but then finding alternative and community currencies and other ways of interacting, forming communities that are not dependent on this grid for their survival is going to be more and more important uh, going forward from here. And I know this can be a lot to take in for people who are really thinking about this for the first time, but I invite you to look at what is happening in the world right now and the presumed authority that these uh, governments and these unelected, unaccountable health authorities have to dictate whether you can even leave your home I think we're going to have to start finding ways to to survive without their support in order to uh, to really counteract the underlying ideology of centralization that's driving this agenda. Uh, James, I want to thank you for taking the time. You're all the way around the other side of the world. How do we follow and you know where's the best way to find the work that you're doing and the investigations you're involved in? 
I'm at CorbettReport.com. That's C-O-R-B-E-T-T Report.com. As I say, you can find my Great Reset podcast and all of my other work is there completely for free. It's uh, 13 years now of audio and video and textual archives that uh, I hope is a resource. And I never ask people to take what I'm saying at face value. That's why I always provide links to the direct source uh, documents that I'm reading from. So you can go and read from them yourself or you can hear Klaus Schwab's speech and come to your own conclusions. Uh, but I just try to fill in some of the connect some of the dots that uh, that are being left unsaid by the mealy-mouthed political blather of the Klaus Schwabs of the world. Well, it's good to know you're out there, and uh, I want to thank you for sharing some of those ideas. I know we've just scratched the surface. Uh, maybe you and I can sit down and, and we'll have a, a coffee or a beer or something in the future and, and start really getting into it. But I do think that it's time that we all wake up and really look at what's happening in on this earth, what's happening in the United States of America. I still believe the people have the power, and so we've got to do what's right, take that next right step and hold on to our liberty and freedom. So, James, thank you so much, and uh, I look forward to speaking with you again. Thank you for having me on. If you like that clip, then be sure to check out our live broadcast of The High Wire every Thursday morning at 11 a.m. Pacific time. You can watch it on Facebook, iTunes, and Twitter. We'll see you there.